Father in heaven, we thank you that we can gather here in this place of worship and we pray that through Jesus Christ and the power of his blood that the Holy Spirit will be here that we will truly be thy listening children and thy obedient children in these last days. Please guide my mind and my lips And I pray that our affections will be upon Christ and upon his truth and upon his word and upon his soon coming. And we ask it all in his name and for his sake. Amen. I've been taking a look at the book of Malachi, so if you'd like to turn there, that's where we will be basing our study for this morning for our church service. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament, and I believe that there's a message in the book of Malachi for us today. By the way, Dan, thank you very much for that very nice report of the missionary work that was done at the fair. Praise God for that. Let's continue to pray that God will bless that work. You know, I was just sitting here thinking, after he shared that with us, if we as a church would share 100 pieces of literature every week, we would do another 5,000 pieces of literature every year. Isn't that fantastic? So may God give us all the ambition to get the message out. Uh, You know, maybe I'll just digress here just a little bit before we start doing a reading and a study. You know, just this week, I was in a home, and I made a sale with a man, and I had the book Steps to Christ, only it's called Shelter in the Storm. It has part of Great Controversy in it, included with Steps to Christ. And I made the sale, and I made sure the man got that, and I made sure the man got the book Great Controversy also. And he said, you know what? He said, I already have that little book called Shelter in the Storm. I said, really? What it was is some Adventist man had shared it with him one day, and he said, you know what? He said, at that time in my life, I was going through a lot of trouble. It was having trouble with his 19-year-old daughter. He said, I felt like God spoke to me that day in giving me that book. So we need to be encouraged. You know, the Lord is doing good things. I want to tell you a couple other things, too, besides what's in the sermon. Uh, recently, I was at the Heartland Fall Convocation, and there was a young man there who I'd canvassed with probably 12, 14 years ago. Uh, since then, he's married, has a couple of children, and he and his wife have launched out basically on their own. They've gone to Guatemala to be missionaries. They're the only Adventists within quite a radius. In fact, church is so far away, they can't even get to church on Sabbath because in order for them to get to church because they don't have a vehicle, it takes them three days. I think they have to ride and stuff like that. But anyway, he's already gotten out a lot of literature. They're doing a very good work. And for the first time, I believe in two years, they were up here in the U.S., and he was at the Heartland Fall Convocation. His name is Eric Rose, and I would invite you to pray for him. He's looking for another family that will join him down there in Guatemala. He said there's all kinds of people down there, and they've already done a lot to get the message out through books and literature and things like that. But anyway, he told me that there was a young man at the Heartland College there who'd been there for one year so far. And he said, I knew that young man some years back. I did a job with him. He said, I'm amazed to see him here. He said, he is a totally different young man. He's a converted young man now. 
compared to when I saw him a few years ago. You know, the grace of God is working, and we need to pray that God will work in our churches and our institutions. Um, I saw a young man there at Heartland, and I talked to him for a little bit, and I sent him a little device. It's a Bible that you can listen to, and I sent him some papers, and he sent me back an email. He said, you know what? He says, I believe it's no coincidence that we met. He said, thank you so much for the package you sent. Thank you so much for the papers. He was very appreciative. You know, brothers and sisters, every one of you have a work to do for God that no one else can do. You're, you see certain people. You have uh, something to share. May God use every one of you to get this message out. Yeah. So the Lord is doing good things, and uh, he is going to gain the victory in these last days. Well, let's take a look at the book of, Ma- of Malachi. As I mentioned, it's the last book in the Old Testament, and... Lord willing, I may spend some time on it the next time I'm with you uh, next next month. Malachi, let's begin with the first verse of the first chapter in the book of Malachi. The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, saith the Lord, yet ye say, wherein hast thou loved us? Now, Let's finish the verse. Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? And I loved Jacob, and I hated Esau, and laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. Now, I'm going to comment on those verses a little bit. And as time allows, there's some very important material in this book uh, for us to study. The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. The prophets had a burden to preach God's message to his people because they realized, as the Apostle Paul articulated it in his message to the Corinthians, for we are a savor of God. To the one, he says, we are the savor of death unto death, and to the other, the savor of life unto life, and who is sufficient for these things. All the prophets realized the fact that the eternal destiny of their listeners determined was determined whether or not they accepted or whether they rejected the message that was given therein. So this is not common, ordinary communication. This is the word of God, like Malachi says, the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. These men knew that they were inspired by God, and they, they knew that they were God's voice men, pen men, and that they were giving God's message. It was not merely the word of men, it was the message from God. And it was the message of God's love to his people about their eternal destiny. So it was extremely important. Now the book of Malachi is is one of many books that has a special focus for the end of time. You'll find this in many books of the Bible, both Old and New Testament. The book of Daniel But thou, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book even to the time of the end. The book of Daniel is for the time of the end. The book of Romans is for the time of the end. Paul said in Romans chapter 13, Now is our salvation nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. So you read in many books of the Bible, the Gospels, Old Testament, New Testament, the book of Malachi is one of those books. It focuses on the time of the end. Because, well, for one, it says in Malachi chapter 4, For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, 
And all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts. So the day of the, the prophets proclaimed the day of judgment. They had a message that was extremely important. There was urgency and intensity in their message. The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi, I have loved you, saith the Lord, yet ye say, wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord, yet I love Jacob and I hated Esau. Now, there's a few things here I want to comment on. God says through his prophet to his people, I have loved you. Now watch the response that they immediately throw back. Wherein hast thou loved us? You will see conversations like this about eight times in the book of Malachi where God speaks to his people and his people immediately throw back a, an attempted refutation of what has just been said. They try and argue with it. So God says one thing and the people argue with it and they say, wherein hast thou loved us? Malachi 3, you have robbed me, God says. Yet, well, wherein have we lo- robbed thee? So you'll see these conversations throughout the book of Malachi. Brothers and sisters, this is common to human nature. When we read God's word, we are to come into the presence of this holy book with all acknowledgement of the sovereignty and the truthfulness of God, and we are to submit ourselves to its authority. We are not to question it or doubt it or cavil against it. It is the word of the living God. And it's not to be carelessly related to. But the people, you will notice, they, uh, for example, um, if you look at verse 6, the last half, O priest that despise my name, and ye say, Wherein have we despised thy name? Ye have polluted, offered polluted bread upon mine altar, and ye say, Wherein have we polluted thee? So you see these conversations going back and forth that they're arguing with God. Now, why does God say here in Malachi 1, I loved Jacob, yet I hated Esau? Let's think about this a little bit. Let's first ask the question, did God want Esau to be saved? What's the answer? We know from a plenitude of other statements and inspiration that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, the word hate, you remember one time in the Gospels, Jesus said, if any man will come after me, he must hate his father, his mother, and even his own life also, or he cannot be my disciple. The word hate there is a word that is showing that there must be a distinction in our priorities and that the Lord must have our superior affections. You see that? Now, when the Lord said here in in the book of Malachi, I have loved Jacob and I've hated Esau, what he's saying is Esau is a symbol of those who continue to hold on sin and they're ultimately rejected by the divine God. Do you see that? Not that God doesn't want to save Esau. But we're told in the New Testament that Esau threw away his birthright. For one morsel of meat, for a little bit of this world, Esau threw away his birthright. Okay? So the Lord is trying to save all people, but the Lord is here developing two or showing two classes. I love Jacob, 
and I've hated Esau. Now, one of the things that was going on in the Israel um, at this time was the fact that there was apostasy both with the people and the leadership. I'm just let's just read a few verses. Okay? Let's go to Malachi chapter two. Malachi chapter two. And now, O ye priests, this commandment is for you. If you will not hear, and if you will not lay it to heart to give glory unto my name, saith the Lord of hosts, I will even send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Yea, I have cursed them already, because ye do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will corrupt your seed and spread dung upon your faces, even the dung of your solemn feasts, and one shall take you away with it. Now, this is very strong language. We all know what the word dung means, and God was using that as a description of the terrible degeneracy of their worship services that they were now engaged in with the Almighty God. Here's what's going on. One of the things that Malachi mentions here in the book, um, let's go back to chapter 1, and I'll just show you. Chapter 1, verse 7. Ye have offered polluted bread upon mine altar, and ye say, Wherein have we polluted thee? In that ye say, The table of the Lord is contemptible. And if you offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto thy governor. Will he be pleased with thee or accept thy person, saith the Lord of hosts? In other words, when the people were coming to the to the worship service, and it was a known fact back then that an unblemished lamb was required as a sacrifice when you came to God's service, they were obviously bringing the weak, the sick, the almost dead, and they were saying, here you go, Lord. Uh, in one place here in the book of Malachi, it says you have snuffed you have snuffed at it, meaning God's table and God's service. In other words, in their minds was this very irreverent, uh, very reduced concept of God and the value of his service, and they were not giving the Lord their very best. Now, In Malachi chapter 2, you're going to read, and let's read it, and then I'll comment. Uh, Maybe I should let the Bible speak more here. Um, Malachi 2, chapter 2, verse 11. Judah hath dealt treacherously, and an abomination is committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah hath profaned the holiness of the Lord, which he loved, and hath married the daughter of a strange God. The Lord will cut off the man that doeth this, the master and the scholar, out of the tabernacles of Jacob, and him that offereth an offering unto the Lord of hosts. And this have you done again, covering the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping, and with crying out, insomuch that he regardeth not the offering any more, or receiveth it with good will at your hand. I'm going to read on, verse 14. Yet ye say, Wherefore? Because the Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth, against whom thou hast dealt treacherously. Yet is she thy companion and the wife of thy covenant. And did not he make one? Yet had he the residue of the spirit and wherefore one? That he might seek a godly seed. Therefore take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. For the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that he hateth putting away. For one covereth violence with his garment, saith the Lord of hosts. 
Therefore, take heed to your spirit that ye deal not treacherously. Look, brothers and sisters, when you go to the marriage altar, you are not only making a very solemn covenant with that bride or groom, whichever it may be, you're not only making a very solemn covenant to them, you're also making a very solemn covenant to your family, to your friends, to your community. You're also making a very solemn covenant to God. The family is the unit of society, and God says here, I hate divorce. I hate it. And obviously, the leadership in Israel at this time were so far in apostasy, they were even marrying heathen women, and they were putting away their wives. They were going after the lust of the flesh instead of being consecrated to God's service. And so you can imagine the degeneracy that was going on even at this time. Okay? God says, I hate putting away. Now, one of the things you're going to see in the book of Malachi, and I'm going to, Lord willing, I'm going to read it here a little bit in just a few minutes from the book Prophets and Kings. But one of the main reasons God is so in earnest with his people is because he wants his people, Israel, to be a witness to the rest of the world that they also may be one to his truth. Do you realize, brothers and sisters, that God cannot, in these last days, finish the work and pour out the Holy Spirit in the latter rain and do his work effectively if the church is a moral mess? You realize that? He can't do it. He must have ambassadors that correctly represent him. Now, Look at verse 10 of chapter 1. Look at verse 10, chapter 1. I have no pleasure in you, said the Lord of hosts, neither will I accept an offering at your hand. For from the rising of the sun, even unto the going down of the same, my name shall be great among who? The Gentiles, the non-Jews. Isn't this a clear statement here that the Lord wanted to save the non-Jew? Isn't that right? It's all through the Old Testament. Really, the people in the New Testament church shouldn't have been having so much trouble as they were having because they were kind of slack on Bible study. Let's face it. They had some hang-ups, but anyway. And in every place, incense shall be offered unto my name and a pure offering, for my name shall be great among the heathen, saith the Lord of hosts. This is a prediction of what's going to happen. But... Ye have profaned it in that ye say the table of the Lord is polluted and the fruit thereof, even his meat, is contemptible. Ye said also, behold, what a weariness is it. And ye have snuffed at it, saith the Lord of hosts, and ye brought that which was torn and the lame and the sick. Thus ye brought an offering. Should I accept this of your hand, saith the Lord of hosts? But cursed be the deceiver which hath in his flock a male and voweth and sacrificeth unto the Lord a corrupt thing. For I am a great king, saith the Lord of hosts, and my name is dreadful among the heathen. Here we can see in these verses, God is trying to uplift Israel and bring them to line because he loves Israel and he needs Israel to cooperate with him in giving the message to the world and to the heathen. You see that? Now, in the book of Malachi, you're going to read often, you do in other places in in the Old Testament, where God is referred to as the Lord of hosts, the Lord of hosts. Let me read to you a statement here. This is from the commentary on Jeremiah chapter 7, where it 
describes this term in the Old Testament, Lord of hosts, Hebrew Yahweh of hosts. It is one of the most majestic and awe-inspiring of all the titles of deity. It is one of the most majestic and awe-inspiring of all the titles of deity, Lord of hosts. The title is common in Jeremiah. It emphasizes the fact that God has untold forces and powers at his command. It emphasizes the fact that God has untold forces and powers at his command. In the Old Testament, host frequently refers to an army of men. The commander-in-chief of an army was designated captain of the host. Angels are also spoken of as a host and gives references. See 1 Kings 22.19. And the term is applied also to the heavenly bodies. Israel's God... Israel's God has at his command untold hosts of spiritual and material forces. He is the Lord of the armies of heaven. He is omnipotent. So when you read here in Malachi 1.14, where God says, For I am a great king, said the Lord of hosts. And my name is dreadful among the heathen. Look, the people in Malachi's day had the same disease that Laodicea has. They're blind spiritually. They don't see the great sacredness of God or his word or the salvation that he has given. Nor do they discern their own spiritual depravity, and their need of the redeeming grace of God. Okay? Read the Laodicean message. Doesn't Laodicea argue with Christ? Yeah. Thou knowest, because thou sayest I am rich and increased with goods and, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wicked, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. In other words, Laodicea says, look, Lord, we are doing really fantastic, and your assessment of us is just wrong. And Lord says, no, you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. You don't feel your need. By the way, brothers and sisters, we are on the very verge of a great revival primitive godliness. I'm telling you, it's coming. Despite all the opposition, all the confusion you see today, we are on the verge of a great revival primitive godliness. And if you look at the patterns back in history, all great revivals were based primarily on the foundation of this one understanding, the great conviction of sin. The great conviction of sin and putting it away out of our own personal life and out of the camp. And then a revival of primitive godliness comes. If we do not feel our need and are not ever on the cutting edge of feeling our need, we are spiritually blind. In fact, there's a statement in the book Acts of the Apostles where Ellen White says the more we advance in our Christian experience, the more our repentance will deepen. It will deepen. Now. I want to take a little look here at chapter 3 because this has a very important application to our time. Uh, Malachi chapter 3. Oh, by the way, before we get into that, I must look at the last person, chapter 2 first. Yeah, I just want to bring this out. We may do a little repetition next time I come here. If you look at verse 17 of chapter 2, the Lord says, Ye have wearied the Lord 
with your words, yet ye say, wherein have we wearied him? God says, look, you are making me weary with what you're saying. And they say, whoa, really? Yet ye say, wherein have we wearied him? When ye say, now listen, Malachi is repeating theological errors and heresies that were common notion among the people of Israel of that time. Okay? God says, you're saying things, I'm tired of hearing it, because it's not truth. You have wearied the Lord with your words, yet ye say, wherein we have wearied him, in that ye say, now listen to this very carefully, carefully, in that ye say, everyone that doeth evil is good in the sight of the Lord and he delighteth in them or where is the God of judgment? Brothers and sisters, when we make sin acceptable in any way by our teaching or our example or in any way, we are repeating this heresy. You have wearied the Lord with your words in that you say, where have we wearied him? In that you say, everyone that doeth evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delighteth in them. Isn't that tantamount to saying it's not possible to overcome sin? Isn't that right? In the book Great Controversy, I believe it's page 489, Ellen White says this, through defects in the character, Satan seeks to gain control of the whole mind, and he knows that if these defects are cherished, he will succeed. Therefore, he, that is Satan, is constantly seeking to deceive the followers of Christ with his fatal sophistry. Fatal means deadly. Sophistry means a deception. Therefore, he is constantly seeking to deceive the followers of Christ with his fatal sophistry that it is impossible for them to overcome. And watch those who teach and who will say one thing on one side of their mouth and the other thing on the other side of their mouth. And in essence, they are actually teaching this heresy that is impossible to overcome. Brothers and sisters, God is going to, in these last days especially, demonstrate in human beings that his law is fair and just and can be obeyed. He's going to do it. You know why? Because he's the Lord God of hosts. And he has untold forces at his command. And when he has a group of children on earth who believe that he has untold forces at his command, they will cooperate with him and it will allow him to purify their souls from all sin. That's exactly what's going to happen. So no matter how weak you are, uh you depend on Christ, you're more than a match for Satan. You know, I recently read a statement in First Selected Messages that really took hold of my thinking. And it says this, 1SM 158, it says, and obviously understand this means everybody, but here's how the quote says. It says, over every man, good and evil angels are striving for the supremacy. Over every man, good and evil angels are striving for the supremacy, and it is the man who determines who shall win. Do you realize the tremendous power of the power of choice? Tremendous power.
power in the power of choice. The evil side of the great controversy is way beyond us in strength. The good side of the great controversy is way beyond us in strength, and they are way beyond the evil side in the great controversy in strength, and they are the side that's going to win, and if we choose their side, we will win. It's going to happen. I had a statement here that I wanted to... Um, read to you here. This is from our High Calling, page 327. Heaven's resources are limitless. Limitless. And they are all at our command. Wow. Listen to this. Same, same reference. Heavenly places, page 327. God calls for men of undaunted courage. Men full of hope and faith and trust who rejoice in the thought of the final triumph. Refusing to be hindered by obstacles. Oh, I see a lot of those. Maybe you do too. (laughs) Refusing to be hindered by obstacles. Now listen to this. He who steadfastly adheres to the principles of truth has the assurance that his weakest points of character may become his strongest. He who steadfastly adheres to the principles of truth has the assurance that his weakest points of character may become his strongest. Now watch. Let's read down through Malachi 3 here a little bit. Behold, I will send my messenger who shall prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. But who may bide the day of his coming, and who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like fuller's soap. And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he shall purify the sons of Levi, and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto the Lord, as in the days of old, and as in former years." And I will come near to you to judgment, and I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers and against the adulterers and against false wares and against those that oppress the hireling in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, and that turn aside the stranger from his right. And fear not me, saith the Lord of hosts, for I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Now, this is like, there's at least one long sermon just in what we read, but let's look at a couple things here. God says, for behold, I will send my messenger, and the Lord whom he seeks shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom he delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord, but who may abide the day of his coming? Who is the messenger of the covenant? Amen. It's Jesus Christ, John 5, 39. Search the scriptures, for in them you think, uh, for in them you think you have eternal life, and there are they which testify me. The messenger of the covenant is Jesus Christ. Now, The spirit of prophecy does give to 
Primarily, the Spirit of Prophecy gives an application of this passage to Christ entering the most holy place in the heavenly sanctuary. Okay? And I'm going to read them both to you. And then also, she applies it to his first advent. Now, first, what I'm going to do is read to you what she says about his first advent in connection with this passage. Behold, the Lord whom he seeks shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom he delight in. Listen to this. Desire of Ages 161. In the cleansing of the temple, Jesus was announcing his mission as the Messiah and entering upon his work. That temple erected for the abode of the divine presence was designed to be an object lesson for Israel and for the world. From eternal ages, it was God's purpose that every created being, from the bright and holy seraph to man, should be a temple for the indwelling of the Creator. Because of sin, humanity ceased to be a temple for God, darkened and defiled by evil. The heart of man no longer revealed the glory of the Divine One. But by the incarnation of the Son of God, the purpose of heaven is fulfilled. God dwells in humanity. And through saving grace, the heart of man becomes again his temple. Through saving grace, the heart of man becomes again his temple. God designed that the temple at Jerusalem should be a continual witness to the high destiny opened to every soul. There she makes an application to Christ's first advent. Now let me read to you the application that is more specifically made by inspiration to the entering of Christ to the most holy place. By the way, brothers and sisters, ever since Jesus uh, entered the most holy place in 1844, he entered the final phase of his ministry. He, the, the Advent movement was an announcement to the church and to the world that his ministry is soon to conclude and that his work as priest is almost finished and he will soon come back as king. Here in the book, Great Controversy, page 424, It says this. Christ had come not to the earth as they expected. That is in 1844. They expected Jesus come in 1844. But as foreshadowed in the type to the most holy place of the temple of God in heaven. He is represented by the prophet Daniel as coming at this time to the ancient of days. I saw in the night visions and behold one like the son of man came to the ancient of days And they brought him near before him. This coming is foretold also by the prophet Malachi. The Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. Malachi 3.1. The coming of the Lord to his temple at that time. I added the words at that time. So that's not the quote, but at that time. The coming of the Lord to his temple was sudden, unexpected to his people. They were not looking for him there in the temple. They expected him to come to earth. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel of the 
they not the gospel. But the people were not yet ready to meet their Lord. There was still a work of preparation to be accomplished for them. Now, maybe I'll read this, but I'm going to take a pause here for the moment. The Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple is a reference to Christ's ministry in the most holy place. All right? His last final intercessory work. So in that context, as we read down through this passage here, what Malachi predicts is going to happen in his church at, or through his people at the end of time is very thrilling. Listen. Verse 2. But who may abide the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appeareth? That's an echo of Revelation chapter 6. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who shall be able to stand? But who may abide the day of his coming, and who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto the Lord as in the days of old, as in former years. Now, Malachi is saying, look, what God did in the past, he's going to do again. Okay? Now, the sons of Levi are the, those who are the spiritual leaders in the church, the leaders in the church. The Bible says God is going to purify the leadership in his church. I don't have the reference. be easy to find. You'll find the spirit of prophecy, a statement that goes like this. The great issue so near at hand will weed out those whom God has not appointed. And he will have a pure, sanctified ministry prepared for the latter rain. Okay? Now, verse 4, I'm going to compare that back with a verse in chapter 2, but let's read verse 4 again. Then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Now, please go back to chapter 2, verse 5. Chapter 2, verse 5. My covenant was with him. This is talking about Levi. My covenant was with him of life and peace, and I gave them to him for the fear wherewith he feared me and was afraid before my name. The law of truth was in his mouth, and iniquity was not found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity and did turn many away from iniquity. For the priest's lips should keep knowledge, and they should seek the law at his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. Malachi is referring to a time in Israel's history, and it may one of the times may well have been, remember when Balaam tried to curse Israel? He says, how can I curse him whom God has not cursed? He says, behold, behold, I have not seen iniquity in Israel, nor beheld perverseness in Jacob, language to that effect. In other words, at that time, Israel was pure, they were loyal to God, and their enemies couldn't touch them. And Malachi may well be referring to that time or some other times, revival when the people were totally, wholeheartedly the Lord's. Here, Malachi is referring to a time when the leadership was speaking truth, they were studying their Bibles, you know, when if someone gets up to teach Sabbath school class or someone gets up to preach a sermon or whatever, they should have done their homework before they get up and take the people's time. Because you realize, brothers and sisters, what happens in every worship service 
has a profound impact upon the destiny of those who come to hear, either for good or bad. It's no light thing. It's a terrible responsibility to be up here. As much as it is a pleasure, it's a terrible responsibility. So Malachi is pointing to a time in the past when the the sons of Levi would be purified and when his church would be purified. Now watch, or listen, or think, however you want to say it. The Bible says he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he shall purge them. In other words, make them clean. How many of you have read the little story about some ladies who were studying Malachi, and one lady said, you know what, this is interesting. Why does it say that the, that the purifier of silver sits when he purifies the metal? So she said, I'm going to go check this out. So she looked up a silversmith, and she went and to him, and he explained how you get this raw material, and you heat it, and as it's heated, the scum and the bad comes to the top, and then it's gleaned off the top, and it becomes purified. And she asked him, excuse me, she asked him, she said, do you sit while this process is going on? And the silversmith said, oh, yes, I do. He said, because I have to watch the process very carefully because if it comes to a point in the purification process where it is done, and if it goes beyond that point, the silver will be ruined. So I have to immediately stop the purification process when it's complete. In other words, he's taking very careful attention to the process of the purification. Brothers and sisters, you and I are headed for some very difficult times. But we must remember that Almighty God will help all those who will trust in him, and he will never allow us to be tempted above that we are able. He knows what furnace you're going through, and he will work it out for good, and he will not allow you to be tempted above that you're able. So the lady began to walk off. He said, oh, by the way, he said, there's another important detail here. He said, I know that the purification process is complete when I see my own image perfectly reflected in the silver. That's what Christ is looking for. He wants to see his image perfectly reflected in his people. Brothers and sisters, we are getting down near to the end of time. But let me just tell you this. We don't know exactly when it is, and that's really in some ways very irrelevant. All we know is it's coming mighty soon, and we don't have a whole lot of time. Don't be sidetracked by time setters. Stick with your work, knowing that at any time we could let, maybe call to lay down our armor. You know what it says? I'm sorry I don't have the references here, but in the fifth volume of the testimonies, we are told we should live every day as if it's our last. And let me tell you this. If you live every day as if it's your last, when your last day comes, you're going to be ready. Isn't that right? So if we live every day as if it's our last, we will be ready. Now, Malachi chapter 3 is in the context of Christ's ministry in the most holy place. Jesus is now doing his work in the most holy place, and he is in the process of purifying his church. The question is, will you and I cooperate? Right? Um, Let's go over to Malachi 3, just a little bit further. 
And we'll wrap this up here pretty soon. Malachi 3, verse 13. Your words have been stout against me, said the Lord, yet ye say, What have we spoken so much against thee? Ye have said it is vain to serve God, and what profit is it that we have kept his ordinance and that we have walked mournfully before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the proud happy. Yea, they that work wickedness are set up. Yea, they that tempt God are delivered, even delivered. So what they were doing, their, de- their religion was so degenerate that they actually thought that the ungodly were better off than they were. You see that? But look at verse 16. Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it, and a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. And they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. Notice how God selects his children. It's those who are talking about him and his truth. Do you see that? Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it, and a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. Do you realize that all the comments in Sabbath school class today are now written in heaven? Do you realize that the expressions of our prayers, our faith, our expressions of faith, they're all written in heaven, and God is looking, he's saying, you know what, these people love me. Because, like it says in Psalms uh, 91, because he has set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. So God is looking for people that are affectionate towards him. Their devotion is to him. They're affectionate towards him. Now, ultimately, God's purpose, as I mentioned a little bit before, for Israel is going to be fulfilled. And I'm going to wrap it up. Give me just a few minutes here, but I'd like to share with you a few things here out of the book, Patriarchs and Prophets and Prophets and Kings. Listen to this. Prophets and Kings, page 713, that which God purposed to do for the world through Israel, the chosen nation. Now listen to this, listen to this. That which God purposed to do for the world through Israel, the chosen nation, he will finally accomplish through his church on earth today. I'm going to read a little bit more. There's all kinds of things to read, but I'm on page, uh, the House of Israel, page 713 and onward, and Prophets and Kings. I'm going to read just a little bit more. I can't take too much time here. Listen to this. Today, in the spirit and power of Elias and of John the Baptist, messengers of God's appointment are calling the attention of a judgment-bound world to the solemn events soon to take place in connection with the closing hours of probation and the appearance of Christ, Jesus, as King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, in the book of Malachi, it says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he shall turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. So God is predicting in the book of Malachi, this is yet to be fulfilled in its fullness, a message like that will come in the spirit and power of Elijah in the last days. And it's one of the main accomplishments of that message is going to be that it will restore families and heal families. Okay? Today in the spirit and power of Elias and of John the Baptist, the messengers of God's appointment are calling the attention of a judgment-bound world to the solemn event soon to take place in connection with the closing hours of probation and the appearance of Christ Jesus as King of kings and Lord of lords. 
Soon every man is to be judged for the deeds done in the body. The hour of God's judgment has come, and upon the members of his church on earth rests the solemn responsibility of giving the warning to those who are standing, as it were, on the brink of eternal ruin. To every human being in the wide world who will give heed must be made plain the principles at stake in the great controversy being waged, principles upon which hang the destinies of all mankind. In these final hours of probation for the sons of men, when the fate of every soul is soon to be decided forever, the Lord of heaven and earth expects his church to arouse to action as never before. It's exciting. We need to pray for the Spirit of God, and we need to act. And brothers and sisters, this is why physical fitness is one, has to be one of the habits that we are continually pursuing in our life because physical fitness is so important as it affects spirituality, productivity, and service. Now, I want to read to you just a little bit here. When the gospel, this is another prophetic statement in the book Acts of the Apostles. When this gospel shall be presented in its fullness to the Jews, many will accept Christ as the Messiah. Among Christian ministers, there are only a few who feel called upon to labor for the Jewish people. There's probably quite a few Jews here in Cleveland. But to those who have been often passed by, as well as to all others, the message of mercy and hope in Christ is to come. Please allow me to read a little bit. In the closing proclamation of the gospel, when special work is to be done for classes of people hitherto neglected, God expects his messengers to take particular interest in the Jewish people whom they find in all parts of the earth. As the Old Testament scriptures are blended with the new in an explanation of Jehovah's eternal purpose, this will be to many of the Jews as the dawn of a new creation, the resurrection of the soul. As they see the Christ of the gospel dispensation portrayed in the pages of the Old Testament scriptures and perceive how clearly the New Testament explains the old, their slumbering faculties will be aroused and they will recognize Christ as the Savior of the world. Many will by faith receive Christ as their Redeemer. To them will be fulfilled the words, as many as received him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Among the Jews are some who, like Saul of Tarsus, are mighty in the scriptures. And these will proclaim with wonderful power the immutability of the law of God. The God of Israel will bring this to pass in our day. His arm is not shortened that it cannot save, as his servants labor in faith for those who have been long neglected and despised, his salvation will be revealed. No, I join in a small group that studies the book Great Controversy, and last night a brother shared a testimony he had heard from Emilio Konechly. Anybody ever heard him years ago? Emilio Konechly. He was a wonderful revivalist and evangelist among God's people and to the world. And uh, my friend Alan Barnes said, uh, he said, I was on the edge of my seat when he shared this, and I'm going to pass on to you what I heard last night. He said, Emilio Connectly, evidently he was a man of means. He, at one time, he bought a university that was a Jewish-run university. He bought it. He became the owner of it. And he instituted in that university a Bible class. 
I don't know if he was, he may have been the teacher. He could well have been. He was quite an evangelist. That was was um, not required, but it was if you wanted to take it, you could take it. Well, some of the rabbis in the university became very upset over this. They said, we are going to close down this university. We are very upset at you doing this. And then a little bit while later, they came back, as I remember the story, and they said, no. They said, we're going to have you write a letter to all the parents of all these students and tell them what you're doing, and they're going to shut down this university. So Emilio Konecki, he went to his study, and he said he got on his knees. And um, so he wrote the letter and sent it out, and within a couple days, Evidently, letters and calls began pouring in, and parents were saying things like this. They said, my child is a changed person. They've given up the ways of the world, the ways of sin, they're changed. They said, whatever you're doing, they said, keep doing it. I mean, it just totally turned back around, back around on these uh, rabbis. And so after that, someone invited him to, to teach in a Jewish synagogue and, hold, and present in the two services at the Jewish synagogue. They said, we want you to come and preach, but you cannot preach from the New Testament. We only want you to preach from the Old Testament. He said, fine, I'll preach from the Old Testament. He said at the, at, at, and he said at the end of those meetings, he said, as he made an appeal for people to give their life to Christ, he said, large numbers of people in that Jewish synagogue came forward and said, yes, we see Jesus as, of Nazareth as the true Messiah, and we want to give our lives to him. Right in that meeting. The head man of the synagogue came down with straight face. He looked Emilio Konecki right in the face. He said, I want to see you in my office right now. So they went to the office. And when they got to the office, the man broke in tears. He said, I also want to receive Jesus as the Messiah of the world. You know, I believe Emilio Konecki was a man whom God could use. And I pray that I'll be a man whom God can use. And you know what? We've got to continually walk humbly before God. We've got to keep hanging on to him. We've got to keep trusting in him. By the way, if there's anybody here who has not made an entire surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ, do it today. Please do not leave this house of worship without saying to Christ, in my hand, no price I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Put away anything that's between you and God. Come to him. He will help you put it away, but don't put it off. We must live every day as if it's our last. But the Lord is going to purify his church. He shall come to his temple. He shall purify the sons of Levi. He's going to send the prophet Elijah, and they will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, the heart of the children to their fathers. God is going to accomplish a great and mighty work. And I pray that we will receive from these prophecies, both Old and New Testament, the glorious vision of what God's going to do. Yes, we got a lot of stuff come at us from the wrong direction. But brothers and sisters, God's truth will triumph. Stick with the three angels' messages. Stick with the Seventh-day Adventist message. Not all Seventh-day Adventist messengers are teaching the right message. Stick with the right message. And stick with the word of God and the testimonies of God's spirit. And may God bless you. Just before we pray, I'd like to read this verse. Malachi 1.14 For I am a great king, said the Lord of hosts, and my name is dreadful among the heathen. Our God is the Lord of hosts. He is the commander of untold power and forces. Heaven's resources, as inspiration tells us, are limitless. So in the battle with sin that we all individually fight, we can be more than conquerors. 
through him that loved us. Depend on Christ. Depend on Christ and depend on his word. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you for the book of Malachi. We thank you for the mighty promises that a Savior in the most holy place will purify his church. That he will sit as a refiner and purifier of Levi and purge them as gold and silver. And we thank you for your promise, but unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings. Lord, heal us, and we shall be healed. Save us, and we shall be saved, for thou art our praise. Bless each one here, and I pray that we will go forth from this place of meaning resolved without hesitation that we will serve the great King of the universe and that he will be our God. Bless those who are here, I pray today. Guide us all, we pray. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.